Welcome to the Hot Ticket Podcast. This is episode 157. On this episode, uh, we've got two great guests for you. Not one, but two. We interview Jesse Marriott and Steve Garabine, the creators of Hand Rolled, a film about cigars. Now, if you haven't watched this documentary, you're into cigars, you listen to this podcast, so I assume you are. If you have not watched this documentary, go and watch it now. It's probably one of the best um, representations of what the cigar industry is in an hour and a half time frame. Um, it's completely digestible, and not only is it just a great film to watch, it's just incredibly well done, um, very thoughtful. Uh, the interviews um, within the movie itself, within the film itself, are absolutely wonderful. Um, so I highly encourage you to watch it. Highly encourage you to listen to this episode. Um, Steve and Jesse both have some things that are coming forward here in the near future um, that you're definitely going to want to know about as well, which they divulge a little bit at on this episode. All right, I've said enough. Let's get into it. I am struggling a bit. I've been feeling really overwhelmed when I walk into the humidor. There's just too many cigars to choose from, and I never know what to pick. I'll get the hot flashes in my IBS begins to act up from all the pressure of it. It'd be really nice if someone could just choose for me. Well, have you ever heard of my cigar pack? What in the dickens is my cigar pack? Well, I'll tell you. My Cigar Pack is a premium cigar club designed to cater unique packs to your door through an innovative platform that takes all the guesswork out of choosing those perfect cigars. Right you are, Corey. They send you five individual premium cigars, a reusable pouch with a Beveda pack, and an add-on item that complements your experience. You can choose from three different options, a mild medium pack, medium pack, or a medium full pack, and My Cigar Pack works hand-in-hand with real cigar experts and manufacturers to design each monthly combination. Yeah, and you can choose between their monthly subscription pack for $39.99 or a one-time purchase for $49.99, and shipping is always complimentary. Visit MyCigarPack.com today to sign up now. New customers will receive $10 off their first order. That's up to a 25% savings off your first pack. Type in promo code HOT10 at checkout to receive your $10 off. Again, visit MyCigarPack.com and enter promo code HOT10 at checkout to receive $10 off your first purchase. Get it, dongers. So wait, are you both on the West Coast? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay, so you live obviously relatively close to each other. Yeah, real close. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to see him in about ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um. So, so I'll, I'll put it this way: I'll make sure because Chris is. I mean, we're recording this whole thing, so I'll make sure that obviously what you just said is not. Oh, cool. We're sl- on a recording. We're sneaky, sneaky about recording. <laughs> Yeah, we're usually we're usually like the way that we um, the way that we record audio is by surprise. So typically, when we have guests on, they just have no idea that we're even recording. And half the time, it's like thirty minutes in, they're like, "Are we going to start?" And I'm like, "Dude, we started thirty minutes ago, man." That's funny, Steve. You missed it. We were just talking shit about Drew State. Oh, cool. <laughs> I was kidding. I was say, is that I'm a hot kidding. topic? No, 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 totally. Because we could talk about that. <laughs> Not, not that I know you're recording now. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Drew Estate's like the Clintons. You'll find yourself like in half your family buried if you talk shit about them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Swisher Sweet's got a hand there, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I mean. You get those big parent companies. That's what happens. 
So, hey, when, when are you coming out to Ohio next? Do you have any – I mean, I obviously know, like, quarantine shutdown puts a damper and everything, but I, – I don't think this year, man. I don't think right. this year. So, I, I don't know. Sometime next year, hopefully, but I, I, I don't have plans right now. Right. And it could. Like, it, it could just happen out of nowhere, but I don't have any plans. Right. Yeah. These guys are on a no-go list for us. Oh, really? that's right. No, we can't yeah, in California. So. If you leave California and come back, you got to quarantine for, for 14 days. I think there's like a list of approved states. Oh, really? But I don't think Ohio is on there. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> coronavirus is heavy in the cornfields right now. Dude, it's, it's weird. Like for me, for me. You don't know, like, bro. N- nothing's really changed. Like. It has because we quarantined like everybody else did. But like when things open back up, it was for the most part, it's like, it's not, it's just yeah. not a thing. It's just not a big thing here. I don't know. I think Steve said it best. I forgot who he said it to, but it's like, we do the same shit. Just don't post about it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. That's the smart move, right? Like just don't yeah, make right. it publicly known and d- do your fucking thing. Like it's not exactly. I don't know. It's crazy. The whole thing is. So how is that like in terms of what you guys do and what you execute on, has that completely changed everything in California? Because I feel like the mayor and the governor are very, um, what do I want to say? Um, I don't even want to say progressive in the way that they're just like, it's like a hard stance, shut everything down. That's what it seems like. Right. Because the, the last thing I heard was like, it was quarantine lockdown until August, but I think, I don't know if some stuff had loosened up in that time period, but I remember hearing that because I, I listened to a lot of comedians who all live in LA and listen to podcasts and they all said the same thing. They're like, we want to get the hell out of here. Like we don't want to be here. Yeah. Anymore. Shit's crazy. Yeah. Everything was open for about three weeks and then they just shut everything down again a couple of days ago. So, well, not everything, but in most counties, all the major counties, they shut bars down and everything again. Dude, that's wild. I heard yeah. they have this like uh, thing where they encourage people to turn in other people who are not yep. supposed to be out of quarantine. Uh, yeah, there's they, a uh, they did that in uh, it does you there's something for you right there, bro. I don't know if you can read that. No. Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they did that uh, and they posted like a website and a bunch of like 4chan trolls just started sending dick pics to the hotline. They had to take it down. Yeah. Classic. People was in New York. Dude, people will figure out a way to like expose some of these like these hard and fast rules that come into place that don't really have like the necessary barriers put into place to stop people from like doing shit like that. It's so funny. Like people take advantage of that shit. It cracks me up. Of course. Dude, yeah, that's I mean, you, best, you, best thing about the internet. You post a, a public server with like no uh, criteria to post on it, and you just tell people to like turn in their neighbors. And what do you think is going to happen? No <laughs> shit. Yeah. On the internet, taking a break from playing video games, sending you all the best big picks they can find on Google. <laughs> <laughs> or their own. I don't know. <laughs> so, so you guys legit have like COVID narcs like running around are people actually turning people in? There's gotta be some assholes out there. that are doing it. Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't be sure. surprised. I haven't seen anything or heard anybody. And we're also Northern California. So I think Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's more prevalent, like in Southern California, LA. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially our county is kind of a red County. So they don't really give a fuck. I think 
yeah. I think like our county just basically told Newsom to go fuck himself because no, like I'm walking into every store and every place. Nobody's got a mask on. Nobody cares. Uh, also, we have like one of the lowest rates of transmission. So it's like, I mean, that could just be luck, but I don't know. I mean, I'm a non population. I'm a non mask wearer. I'll admit it. <laughs> I mean, I do it if I have to. I right. get it. Yeah, I'm the I'm the same way. Like you know, going into I had to get some dental work done, like over the last like three weeks, and you know it's you know I'm conscious and cognizant of the fact that there's it's also in the same place where they do um like laser eye correction, and then there's like another floor that is like like legit everybody's ninety years old in a wheelchair. I'm like yeah I'm gonna be respectful and I'm gonna wear my mask. <laughs> There's, there's yeah. livelihoods at stake here, but like, I'm not the person that's walking down my sidewalk when I'm walking my dogs with a mask on and like a, a visor and a shield. Like, that's crazy. Like, yeah. Dude, I, I was just in a I coffee shop this morning and there was a guy sitting, every, like there was people sitting, you know, they, they spaced the, the tables and stuff. So it's not as populated as it normally is, but there's a guy sitting at like the little coffee bar. And he's drinking, he's got a mask on and he removes it like every 10 seconds to take a sip and then put it right back. What the fuck? (laughs) I went went camping last week up in the mountains, like hella secluded. Hikers were walking by with masks on. Like there's nobody else around. Why do you need a mask when you're hiking? I mean, other than like, um, do you remember when people like at the gym were wearing the oxygen suppressant mask? That's what it reminds me of. (laughs) It's like high, like high now altitude. They can wear training. it without being ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they're. That's what they're doing. They're like, finally, it's my time. <laughs> I'll tell you what. If I see another goddamn picture of a guy with a mask on, with the hole cut out for the cigar, if I see one more of those fucking pictures, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> I will, I'm gonna I give up legit, cigars for life. I was legit gonna ask you about that. If you've seen anybody, I've not seen. There's no one around Ohio, right? So Ohio is very much, and obviously, Jesse, you've you've been here before. It's a very much don't give a fuck state. Um, yeah. we're, it's a very respectful state in terms of like when the governor, when Mike Dwine came out and said, hey, we need to do these things, precautionary, all this. But just like everything else, people are like, okay, the, the research and the evidence and the science don't match the precautionary things that are being put into place. People then just make decisions on their own. That's Ohio. Like, hey, we did, we did what you asked us to do. Now it's overkill. So we're going to rebel, yeah. go fuck yourself kind of mentality. <laughs> um, and we haven't seen, there hasn't been like crazy spikes. There's more testing. Um, my sister-in-law, she works in a hospital and they had to furlough. Like it's weird because when you would see, she lives in Columbus and you would see on the news, you would have like um, a news van and, and obviously like a producer and a newscaster. They'd be in front of the yeah. hospital and they're like, they're setting up tents outside and stuff. And they're like, oh, the chaos is coming and blah, blah, blah. And then we'd talk to her and she'd be like, we're at 30% capacity. Like we had to fight, we had yeah. to let people go because there's no one in our hospital right now. So it's just that weird tail and that spin that everybody kind of puts on it, but it's not been, I mean, as, no. as bad as it could have been, it has not been in Ohio. At Dude, all. you want to hear some conspiracy shit? So they were, <laughs> my girlfriend sent me an article on IG that someone had posted where these nurses in the hospital were, they got this whole new batch in for like these COVID tests. And they started administering them to people in the hospital and every single one of them came back positive that they had COVID. And they're like, this doesn't seem right. So then they took a bunch of empty samples and tested against those with like 
like faux names. So they weren't real people. They weren't really being tested. And all of them had, they, they were all contaminated with COVID-19. All the tests. Hmm. I know I heard my girl's uh, aunt died a month ago. Just of old age. Great aunt actually died of, had a heart attack at 75 or something. Didn't have COVID, but the, they just got the death certificate two days ago. And it says uh, COVID-19. Oh no, so, that's so fucked yeah, up. I just found out last night, Steve. That's crazy. That's, Dude, yeah, that's so I don't know. Immediately, please. Thank you. My bad, man. I waited 12 hours. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are getting ready to meet up. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> Abbott yeah. Newsom would be, he'd be shaking in his office right now. We're going to cough in each other's faces when we see each other. <laughs> <laughs> Just your, just your lovely way of saying hello. Yeah, it's a California thing. You guys wouldn't get it. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I would love to. I would, you guys with some stuff. I would say I'd love to come out and try it. Hey, man. Come on out, man. You got a place to stay? No, you're not allowed, though. Sorry. I know. Oh, yeah. yeah, so so you said you can't have – you have certain states of which you guys can't fly out to, right? Because and then that's an automatic 14-day quarantine when you come For back. For the record – I'm bloviating right out of my ass. I don't actually know. That's just something I heard somebody say, so I'm repeating it as fact. Well, I will put it this way. I would not at all be surprised in the least. So when you say it, I go, of course that's believable. Well, yeah. for sure, for sure, when you fly back into California, California is one of 14 states you have to quarantine after you fly back into it. I don't know from what state, though. I, I, I don't know that, so. Right. But, but yeah, it's just either way, stupid. So do you guys have to, for what you've done, obviously for the hand rolled document documentary in particular, you're traveling all over the place. Like you spend time in Nicaragua, like you're doing, you're conducting all these interviews. So as you guys conduct your business, like, are, are, and I'm assuming you're staying in touch with all those people, obviously probably pretty consistently. Like what kind of damper does that have on, you know, what you guys do as it interrelates to cigars, like the, just the travel piece of it in general, has that been a huge hindrance for you? Um, we we're not traveling currently for it. I mean, the movie's done. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I've, I've seen it like 10 times. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, as of a year ago, when it came out, we're kind of done with that. We, we did go to Nicaragua in February for a separate project uh, with my father's cigars, but Okay. We were okay then. Now it's, yeah, now if we try to travel, it's, it, you can't go anywhere. Everything's shut down. There's, there are no flights in and out of Nicaragua except for a freight flight once a week. So I, I don't know. I get, and the surrounding countries are shut down from what we hear. So if we wanted to do anything right yeah. now, we'd, we'd be screwed. So I, was, I, I flew in from Honduras like a week before they shut down. They were like the yeah, first. Right. Really oh, shit. Out, I think. oh, you're lucky. You're very lucky. Yeah. As I feel like some of those, um, I feel like some of those countries, and I know there's some down there where it's like, there's been people stuck in the country for months now. Like they're just not oh, yeah. ready to go anywhere. Yeah. Lucky. Yeah. Very lucky. <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, I guess maybe there's worse places to get stuck, but at the same time. Could you imagine being stuck somewhere for this amount of time, like with government regulation absolutely definitively stopping you from going anywhere? <laughs> like that's crazy. Dude, if I'm if I'm stuck this long, that's it. 
forget about me. I found a new family. Yeah. <laughs> I'm moving on. <laughs> Start a fruit stand. <laughs> yeah. There'll be a white guy sitting up a fruit stand on the side of their road. Give them a taste of their own medicine. <laughs> so, so as far as like the, the hand-rolled documentary, which I absolutely love, and, and Steve, I was telling Jesse this earlier, um, I think just in terms of like documentaries overall, obviously the connection with cigars for us makes it very meaningful, but just how well done it was, was, I think that's incredible to me. Like there, I was telling Jesse, there seems to be a lot more docudramas out there as the recent, like, you know, Tiger King or whatever the hell that one was, right? All these, whatever. I mean, if you call them documentaries, the Aaron Hernandez one, I was like, come on. Um, but this, but this, is it just like, even if you're not into cigars, even if you're not a cigar person, cigar guy, a cigar gal, I feel like you can really appreciate the way that this documentary was done. I thought it was honestly one of the most well done documentaries I've seen, which I'm insanely critical. So that's like a, that's definitely like a two thumbs up for me, but how, so I guess my curiosity is like your guys's background. What is the interrelated connection to cigars that made you want to do this? Steve? <laughs> oh, uh, that, there isn't like anything like particular. Um, we just liked cigars. That was it. We, uh, you know, we got into the film, we got into the film business, um, you know, wanting to tell our stories and like wanting to do fun projects. And, um, you know, somewhere along the way, we got stuck doing other stuff that was fun, but not exactly what we wanted to do. And at one point we we're like, Hey, let's just, Let's just uh, do a documentary um, like we've always wanted to do. You know, we kind of like got started on a couple back in the day and then we just kind of gave up on them because uh, timing wasn't right and a bunch of, you know, uh, things didn't, didn't line up. And so we just decided finally, like, let's just go for it. Let's just, you know, however long it takes, you know, if it's a multi-year endeavor, who cares? And then we kind of asked ourselves, like, what what is it that we can sort of endure for a while and not and not burn out completely, you know, no pun intended. Um, and so we just kind of like, you know, came up with the idea of cigars one day. I think we were smoking a cigar and, uh, we're like, why don't, why don't we see if there's anything, uh, on cigars available? And turns out we searched all the major platforms and nothing really existed. So we thought this seems like a good thing as any, you know, there were, there were a few like cool food documentaries that, we, we just watched some, you know, a couple of documentaries on the line. I think we watched some and a couple of other things. And um, it was like, dude, that's, that's pretty awesome. Let's do something, you know, in that vein that just kind of shows the craftsmanship. And I think initially, uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we talked about doing like possibly like a 30 minute documentary with whatever we can find. And then that just avalanched into what hand rolled is, you know, we didn't, we didn't know we'd go out and do this whole in-depth history and, interview all the major manufacturers and you know a bunch of the key players and that just kind of avalanched into that as uh, as the project started rolling so yeah you mentioned uh budget constraints and timing is not right like when i think of something like hand rolled like who 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 was like the sponsors behind you guys traveling and doing that was it all out of pocket or was it like <laughs> or did you have like cigar brands back the documentary we um we had only cigar brands uh back the documentary i mean dude we were so fortunate because we we started with the idea of like hey this is kind of an advert 
for the industry, right? Like you guys are advertising through the film. People are going to watch the movie and want to smoke a cigar. Kind of like you watch a movie about working out and then you want to work out or you watch a food documentary and you want to try that restaurant. So um, we have them all listed on our website. I, I don't know them off the top of my head. But uh, Pete Johnson from Tatuaje was uh, our biggest backer, our biggest support. Because of him, we were able to really advertise, or not advertise, but he was able to put a good word in for us uh, with all these manufacturers. And, and we were unknown in the industry when we started. So if it wasn't for him helping us out, that's why we listed him as an executive producer. If it wasn't for him, man, like, I, I don't know if we would have gotten the interviews that we got. And for example, George Padrone hit up Pete and was like, hey, these guys keep emailing us about uh, doing an interview. Do you know them? And Pete's like, yeah, these are good guys. What, here's what they're doing type of thing. That's how we got George. That's how we ultimately got uh, his dad, Jose Orlando. So, but we funded the movie strictly through the cigar industry. Everybody came in, banded together and supported us. And uh, on our website and in the credits of the film, we have everybody listed that contributed. Hell yeah. Which was a yeah. pretty incredible list, right? If you watch the document, if you watch the documentary all the way through, like we're talking yeah. about some of the biggest names in the cigar industry, hands down. Absolutely, you got Perdomo yeah. in there, Fuente family, EP Carrillo family. Of course, you have Pete Johnson, who's like a a hero of mine. Essentially, um, that to me is incredible because it's like the biggest names and almost and also the most fruitful history around their families, right? One of the things yeah. that I love that you guys highlighted was that migration from Cuba and really what that meant for a lot of these families who had factories in Cuba. And then, of course, everything with Castro kind of put a huge damper on their ability to continue producing under their own private brands. And then there's this mass exodus. And what does that mean? The, max, the mass exodus means now we've got to start operations somewhere else. So a lot of it was like, these hard resets. And I think a lot of times people don't realize how strenuous that is on a family and the kind of dedication that you have to have to this craft to literally leave your country and start operations somewhere else. And you guys do such a wonderful job of highlighting, like it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's not like we make cigars. Yay. It's like, there's some shit that happened to a lot of these people and a lot of these families yeah. and a lot of their workers. And you guys bring that to light and it, it, brings a sense of like there's a humanitarian aspect to this whole industry and i don't know that it's ever been highlighted in such a profound way than what you guys did in the documentary i appreciate that man but i mean like for us it was we wanted to tell the story of the cigar industry and you can't do that without starting with cuba and i think pete's the one that says in the film that uh, cuba invented the wheel right when it comes to cigars so that's why the film starts with a quick history lesson. Like, hey, this is why we have New World Cigars now. This is why we have Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, you name it, Mexico. Um, it's because of these exiled Cubans. And so telling their story and telling the, uh, the origin story, if you will, even uh, like halfway through the movie when Carlito talks about how Native Americans used to use uh, tobacco as currency, like stuff like that, that's a story that needs to be told. Yeah, for sure. So do you think some of what you guys have done in bringing certain things to light within the documentary, because I guess I'm wondering, and I'm sure you've received feedback, so I'm sure you could, you could tell me whether or not this is the case, but I feel like it's a documentary that cigar lovers like ourselves are going to love, but what was the extended reach to those who you're either curious about cigars 
or had a misunderstanding. Like you were saying earlier, the whole idea of like mm-hmm. smoking a cigar is like smoking a hundred cigarettes. If that were the case, I'd have been dead fucking 12 years ago. Yeah. I'd be, I would yeah. literally, I'd already be in a grave. Right. So I guess debunking and demything some of those things. Did you get a lot of reception from folks who weren't as keen to the cigar industry that perhaps use the documentary to learn something that they otherwise didn't already know? Was there a lot of that? Um, I don't know about a lot. Cause I mean, you have to remember, we don't hear a lot back from people. Like it's not like people are going to reach out to us for the most part and tell us their experience with watching the movie. But while we were, we, we took a year for us to get distribution in order to get the film out on, uh, Amazon and all these other platforms. So in that year we did, uh, shop and limited theater releases, uh, across the country. And my favorite compliment that we got is either from wives of dudes that smoke that would say like, okay, I understand your love affair with the cigar industry now, or I understand my husband's love affair with the cigar industry. Or the best one is, Hey, I kind of want to try a cigar now after watching the film. So stuff like that is huge, man. Cause you're educating people on this industry that they thought was something completely different up until now. And it's not like they're people that are my age they are people well into their fifties, sixties, you know what I mean? Like not old by any means, but they're, they're stuck in a certain mindset. And so that to me was the biggest compliment that we've ever gotten is just people literally learning something they didn't know before and then kind of changing their mindset about it. And on top of that, guys that think they know everything about cigars, because you'll meet guys in in shops that are just like, I know everything there is to know about cigars, but then they'll watch the film and be like, oh, okay, I didn't know this and this and this. So that's a huge compliment as well. The fact that people can learn stuff from the film and when they presumably know everything. Dude, I learned a lot from the film and Same. I felt like I already Same. knew a lot. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's, it's why I've watched it like seven times or however many times <laughs> I've watched it. It's ridiculous. I don't even know what the number is. Like every time I feel, like, I feel like we go to the cigar lounge, I, we're, it's like always on. And I always just sit there and just watch it like it's the first time that I've seen it. That's so t- to me, I, awesome. I really appreciate... I appreciate the effort and the amount of work because I could tell how much went into it. And that's, I think, arguably probably what I loved the most about it was like the intention behind it and just the, the connection that a lot of these interviews make to the history. And then not only the history, but like even curtailing it. I love the message towards the end of the documentary, specifically around the, the restraints of the FDA regulatory process. Like that to me is like, did a good job of curtailing this rich history of cigars and then what it could mean potentially if it all went away through crippling regulation, like bringing that forward. There's think about how many people aren't in the cigar industry that have no fucking clue that the FDA is doing what they're doing to try to like cripple this industry. That's been around literally forever. It's, it's absolutely, it's insane to me. And you guys do such a good job of just bringing attention and light to that that subject that people otherwise just wouldn't know about. No, absolutely, man. I mean, that was the whole, that's the whole scope of it, man. And, and showing the fact that they do philanthropical stuff with their charities and, and uh, medical clinics and stuff like that, that these cigar uh, manufacturers have, people need to know about that kind of stuff. But now we're together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Spit in his mouth. Do it. I'm just kidding. Hold on. We said cough. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I don't want to feed into your Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I was totally, my mind was elsewhere. I'm sorry. Spit in that boy's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that's literally what it would sound like in Ohio. You, you I mean, you literally sound like an Ohioan. Yeah. 20 miles from the city. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) 
Jamestown right there. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so, so, so in terms of like the expert, like, cause I, I watched a, an interview that you guys were doing IPCPR and there was a, there was a point in the, in the interview where you said you were surprised by the turnout, I think in a premiere that you did, it was something like 300 people were expected, but like 800 people showed up. And like, that was the, the collective community that was there for the release. Were you at all expecting such wonderful, like just representation around the documentary as a whole, or was it, was it like, Hey, we're going to put this out here and see what the hell happens. Yeah. I think, uh, we were not expecting that at all. Um, we got to the venue, um, and I remember the seats were like all spread out. There were like 800 seats or something like that. And we were just like, oh, God, this is going to look <clears throat> so empty. Um, like, you know, there's going to be a smattering of people. Uh, like, this is going to suck. Um, it's the first day of the convention. Like, who wants to go and then spend like the evening before the party, like watching a movie? And everybody's like about to get ready for the dinner. And so, uh, we were actually like kind of worried and then people started trickling in and more people started trickling in and then more people started trickling in. And we were like, we got to the point where I look in, I'm looking around the room and people are standing, um, in the back. And, uh, like I, that blew us away. That's when we kind of knew we had something and people were actually interested in this thing, you know, because I mean, yeah, it's a target audience that's there at IPCPR, but you know, it's just something like nobody really knew what it was back then. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like it had been out and people were already talking about it. You know, like I, <laughs> I flew in a little late cause um, we had just made some edits to the film and I had to export the new version of the film. So like I delayed my flight like five or six hours that day or something and flew in later. Um, so that's how fresh it was. I mean, it was just right off the cutting room floor. Dude, that's wild. Like, do you do you think like after doing the the documentary, like interviewing all of the brands and manufacturers, assuming you were into cigars in at least a small amount beforehand, how much has that changed afterwards? Are you guys more into cigars, or is it are you still kind of a hobby thing? Um, actually, we're less into cigars because they're like cigarettes really uh, <laughs> no uh, we were yeah we were definitely into cigars before we smoked them collected them that's why we did the film because for us it was like oh this is a no-brainer uh we should do this on cigars um but definitely after the fact um sitting down with people talking to them about their stories before even getting them on camera you develop a whole new appreciation seeing them uh, rolled and all the processes uh, the, I mean you guys know the, the processes are insane for from seed to smoke so seeing all that you develop a new appreciation and yeah man I mean for us it's like we're it's it's a love affair it's it's not going away it's it's something that we're really passionate about and um, we don't want to stop being involved with the industry as much as we are right now even though we don't have a brand or anything like that but it's just like being involved from the outside is freaking amazing so there are there are next steps, which you said earlier, but we won't mention what those are. But outside of some additional things that you're doing to the documentary that's already been released, 
what other, do you, are there other things, other strategies that you have as it interrelates to the cigar industry? And actually, I'm curious just as far as like what you guys do outside of hand rolled. Like we obviously know you for hand rolled, right? We know you mm-hmm. because of cigars, but obviously you're making a living doing other stuff. So in terms of the other things that you're doing, what, what, what is a day in the life of Steve and Jesse? Like, what are you guys working on that isn't related to cigars? <laughs> There's so many answers we can give you right now, <laughs> and you'd never know. <laughs> um, well, we're about to get on a jet ski. Not together. <laughs> uh, we do a lot of gay porn. Um, <laughs> my stage name is Hog Johnson. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't look it up. Steve is Asaconda. <laughs> and, uh, no. I mean, we do we do commercial work. So um, our whole livelihood is is producing commercials and telling stories for companies and, and, or personal stories or, or we do a lot of philanthropic, um, stuff as well. I know I almost didn't get it out, (laughs) but, um, I mean, ideally what we'd love to do is, uh, and we've said this from the beginning that we'd love to tell the story of the cigar industry in individualized episodes. So, uh, doing a docuseries would be something that we'd love to ultimately get to. Um, you know, other than that, yeah, we still, Every day is just kind of like working on commercial stuff and still promoting hand rolled because that's our baby and um, things like that. Yeah. Do you do you still see that with hand rolled? There's still some steam around it. Obviously, it had this grandiose entrance into the marketplace back in 2019 last year, right when it was released. It, does it still have momentum? Does it still is it still giving and and kind of like shining light? I mean. You said sometimes you don't get direct consumer feedback, but I feel like as people make an entrance or they have intrigue about the cigar industry, I'm not sure that I personally would point them any other direction as far as like knowledge and experience. You have all these like online outlets, right? Informational websites. You have places like Half Wheel that are great with news. You have Cigar Aficionado who's specifically into like the luxury lifestyle and the ratings of cigars. But in terms of like information and really understanding the history, I'm not sure that I would want to point anybody else in another direction. And the, the hour and a half that you guys produced, I feel like not only gives the rich history, but gives just a ton of information and very digestible. So are you getting, are you seeing that as part of like, hey, this is over a year later? Are people still like intrigued by it? People who are actually wanting to get in the industry? Well, I mean, that's why we continue doing like interviews like these and stuff, because we're finding out that, um, you know, even though we've been promoting it and the cigar industry isn't huge, everyday people are finding out about the film. So um, it definitely isn't uh, rolling out as much as it did right at the beginning. But um, yeah, people are still, you know, we're checking our Amazon and iTunes uh, accounts consistently and, um, you know, seeing the viewership rates and stuff like that. And it's still definitely every single day, just about um, there's, you know, viewers, um, either downloading it or watching it or rewatching it or whatever. Some of the, um, some of the, uh, sites have more information. Some have less. So, but, um, yeah, one, one thing that we thought, uh, sort of in making the film is a lot of the stuff, a lot of, of this information, like you can piece through reading like, you know, decades worth of cigar aficionado and, and try to figure it out. But one thing we figured out, you know, while we were editing is like, this is probably the most, in-depth hour and a half you'll get like return on investment if that's all you have 
um, to watch. Like, I mean, there's some great interviews out there, like that you could read on Cigar Aficionado. We've read them all, um, just about you know during during the um, pre-production uh, time for the film. But um, if you just got an hour and a half, this is probably the most jam-packed, contextualized. That's one thing we try to do is we sort of divided everything by decades to contextualize it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really not to toot our own horns, but it is really a, like a fountain of knowledge for the industry. And we, you know, like we just told the story as it came, you know, we didn't try to include any of our own biases in there or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, yeah, people are still watching it and we, we hope more, more will as a result of you know, these conversations. And, and yeah. Oh yeah. I will say one of the things that I really like, I enjoyed the whole thing, but the use of the tobacco plant as it continues to climb over periods of time, like going up the plant into each individual leaf, I thought was so cool. Like that's something that like, I feel like a cigar guy really enjoys and appreciates. Yeah. Shout out to our buddy, John Horton, uh, who animated that for us. So I have... I was thinking about this whole time, like for all the people that you were talking to, right? Pete Johnson, all these amazing people in the industry. What was your favorite part? Favorite part of, of talking to people? Yeah, like, you're, like through the whole experience, what did you attach? What did you guys attach to the most? Like what was the, I'm sure there was a numerous amounts of things, but like something that sticks out in your head that says like, this is, this particular interview or this particular interaction was absolutely awesome. I want to hear some of the stories behind the scenes. Well, the, the theme of the shoot the entire time, every time we sat down with somebody or after we had just finished the interview, we would look at each other and just be like, what the fuck are we doing here? Or how, like we have no business being in any of these interviews. Right. So that was the theme the whole time but um i think this thing that the one that sticks out the most for us that we've talked about the most is jose orlando padron because we shot the interview with his son the night before uh he shut off his cell phone shut off the phones in the factory where we're at or the distribution center that we were at and uh we were with him for about five hours just interview then hanging out smoking and drinking afterwards but his dad couldn't get a hold of him that whole time so his dad is freaking out because his factory got bombed. Uh, the one in Nicaragua got burned down. So he has this history of, of just getting fucked with. So he's like, well, these three white guys that came into the factory today, like they have my son hostage. Right. So the next day is he explained to his dad, like, no, this is what they're doing. They're doing a movie about the industry and they're good guys or whatever. And his dad's like, well, I'll give them an interview if they want. So, and then, uh, and then he became sick as we all know, that was his last on camera interview before he passed. So for us, that was huge because, I mean, complete happenstance. And it's because of Padron, for the most part, that we have Nicaraguan tobacco. You know what I mean? And, and with the, um, it's just, it's crazy. So the fact that we sat down and had that interview with him, even though he was frail, he couldn't smoke a cigar. He had to sit in a specific kind of chair, which sucked for us as for the interview because we didn't like those chairs that he was sitting in. But, you know, like that's the kind of story is it's like, dude, you get what you can at the time and that's it. And it happened to be his last last on camera interview. So that for us sticks out the most for sure. But every freaking guy we interviewed, we did about 65 interviews of which 38 or 39 made the final cut every single time. It's, we looked at each other like, what are the odds? What are we doing here? Like, this is insane. So it it was, uh, we were constantly on a high. 
Dude, I could imagine that would be, I mean, like literally the people you've interacted with are legitimately some of my heroes in the industry that I don't know that I'll ever get a chance to talk to. Like we've talked to some great people, but like those guys are, you talk about like pioneers in the industry, like even with, you know, Nick Perdomo and like all the stuff that he's done and the Fuente family, that's insane. Like there's not, it's just like, like not everybody gets access to those guys to have those conversations. It just doesn't exist. I mean, you can talk to people within their organizations and uh, you can get a lot of information, but it's like hearing it from the people who experienced it that lived through some of the horrible times and some of the best times. It's like having that access. I'm, I'm fucking jealous. It actually kind of makes Good, me mad. It should be. <laughs> <laughs> We're hella cool. <laughs> uh, Alex, Alex said it, so I had to believe him. Yeah, he's a fanboy. <laughs> so so who was your um who was your least favorite person? <laughs> what do you think? You have to say it. Uh, I don't think I have a least favorite. Um I don't know, everybody has everybody has something to to contribute, so I think uh I don't know. That's a tough one. Hey, we definitely had we had interviews that were unusable, but not because the people weren't bad. It's just audio went bad or something like things happen, man. Yeah, so, we most of it approved three of us for the most part. So yeah, we had, we had gone uh, to some lengths at times to make things work and hodgepodge, you know, setups together. And, yeah, out of everybody that we interviewed, everybody was. Super nice, super hospitable. We never had a bad experience with anybody that we interviewed. So yeah, we almost had a bad experience with Hutchie, but we turned that around. Thank oh, you. yeah. <laughs> Miscommunication. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, say what you will about the people that didn't interview with us, but <laughs> I'll let you guys fill in whatever blanks you want there. But <laughs> no, but no, I mean, we, we just didn't have a bad experience. Like, there's just, there's, yeah, it's, there's it's no hard to fault favorite. anybody because it's like we were literally nobodies. I mean, we still are, but. You know, especially at the time, yeah, not having produced any content for the cigar industry, it's not like, yeah, those are the guys that do this for the industry. It's like, no, these are guys completely from the outside. Um, no, no foothold. No, we didn't have a blog. We didn't have a, you know, a fan page. You know, like we we weren't part of like a bunch of secret Facebook groups for cigar smokers. We weren't into any of that. We were just like a couple of guys out in Northern California that like cigars and knew how to use a camera pretty well and maybe how to tell a story or two. So, um, you know, again, I, I don't really know how to answer that because everybody that interviewed with us really took a risk. Um, I mean, not really a risk, but in the sense of risk, cause they don't, they didn't know what we were doing, you know, for all they knew that we could have been, you know, out to like expose the industry or some shit. I don't yeah. know. Who knows? There had but, a- uh, there had to been an odd bird though, or some guy that like couldn't speak any English and you're like, Oh boy, like, how are we going <laughs> to, how are we going to deal with this? I mean, we just translated everybody that there was, uh, we did have an argument in, in editing. Steve wanted to put subtitles for, for Hochi. I think Hochi does have subtitles, right? I don't remember. Uh, there's yeah, a there few, there's a few, but like Hochi and like Hirochi Robina, we had to argue whether or not they needed subtitles because to us, it seemed like you can understand them, but like is to a couple of us, to Steve and the other editor, maybe not so much. So 
<laughs> we understood them because we knew the context and we remember the interviews yeah. and stuff, but some of the English was rough. And so, I yeah, don't know. You just yeah, adapt. I mean, settling on a few, but um, no, I, I, that's the thing. Like, maybe I'm just looking back through rose colored glasses, but I don't honestly remember like a really bad experience with anybody. Like, uh, it was, it was cool. People were just, yeah, uh, really hospitable, really nice. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, that's the cool thing about the documentary, though, is if you don't speak English, we'll subtitle you. So That's it doesn't true. make a difference if you speak it or not. Like it's beautiful. And, and we're filming in Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, and Cuba. I expect you to not speak perfect freaking English. There was yeah. a sketchy. Uh, there was a sketchy set of. So the first, the first trip to Esteli that we did, uh, we didn't like know anybody, so we showed up to like some random farms Ooh. and oh, yeah. asked some farmers to like basically let us take them home uh (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) which sounds really bad but literally we wanted to drive them home in our van so we get in our van (laughs) uh oddly enough they did i don't i wouldn't but they did yeah uh and we we shot like some interviews but those ended up kind of being unusable and not because of them but uh our translator like who's our friend like this great dude uh you know we, we've been going to Nicaragua since 2014 and so we have a bunch of friends uh that are surfers we're not surfers at all they're all surfers we just go and hang out on the <laughs> beach and film them sometimes uh so one of them who like speaks really damn good english mm-hmm. but all of a sudden the camera turned on and he's like in a position as a translator and he forgets both english and spanish like he's just standing there <laughs> like dumbfounded and like, I mean, we have full on conversations with this guy. He's not in any way new to speaking English, you know? So he gets dumbfounded and I'm, I understand like, I don't know, 60 to 80% of what's being said, but like this whole thing just threw us for a loop. It was like one of our first set of interviews yeah. and we ended up not using any of those interviews, not because there wasn't anything to be said, but it clearly like the questions were just, I was trying to ask questions in my broken ass Spanish and trying to understand and he was just like a, like he was helen keller you know he was oh. <laughs> 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 yeah. i don't know maybe we should cut that uh, <laughs> nah, nah, not on this one nope <laughs> uh so yeah i don't know he uh, yeah. that, that made for an interesting incident how's your uh, spanish jesse not good <laughs> it's all right it's all right it's pretty good you learn a lot Quickly, you, you learn a lot quickly. You do, yeah. You know, sign up for the shitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the library. <laughs> <laughs> like the two yeah. default things people uh, know how to ask for or say in Spanish. Exactly. Was there anybody that you didn't get a chance to interact with or interview that you wish you would have? That may be in a potential like part two or part of like a next adventure when it comes to what you're doing. Um, I mean, obviously we would have loved to get Carlos Fuente would have been amazing, but he passed the the same year that we started working on this. So there's just no way it would have happened. That's why we just paid homage to him in the film. But um, Honduras, we'd love to get some interviews and some yeah. footage from Honduras. It was, but- Real nice. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's still plenty of people that we would love to yeah. connect with. Uh, it's just you know, at some point we said we could still try to go and get more interviews, or we can put this thing out. Um, 
because we have so much footage already and you know it's been three years and yeah and so that's you know we just decided to finally put it out and like we could have probably fundraised a little bit more and made another trip and like get to some of the people that we really wanted to get to i mean i, I would have loved to go on round two with some people you know because like some of the early interviews even um like nestor mm-hmm. um you know like we had 20 minutes with nestor because he was like one of the first interviews that we did and one like we were just freshly getting used to setting up all our gear like really quickly and you know hauling it out of vans and like you know getting everything ready um and so like we got 20 minutes with him and i'd love you know to follow up that interview with like another hour long two hour long interview you know because that their family has the full senses they have so much uh so much history and so much to say and all that stuff so i mean um yeah i mean there's plenty of people we'd love to get and plenty of people we'd like to circle back to yeah even like Nick Melillo is a great example. We shot an interview with him early on in Nicaragua. We, and then a year later, we shot a new interview, which is the interview we used because it was like two in the morning when we shot the interview. We weren't drunk or anything. No, no, no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. No. But it just, the interview just didn't work. And we had a chance yeah. to interview him again. So yeah, there's some stuff like that that we could have probably redone. But um, I mean, we're proud of what we got so far. And, you know, no regrets, man. Yeah, I think it's uh, so I I was just thinking in terms of like there's so many people who have had such a great impact on the industry from manufacturers like the guys who actually are rolling tobacco, growing it, rolling it, have the whole production. And then you have brands, right? Then you've got a subset of folks who get into the industry but don't necessarily interact at a high level with the actual operation. So there's that piece of it too. Or I think like guys like obviously Nick has been in the industry for a long time um, and worked at Drew Estate and has done incredible things. Um, but there's guys that you just mentioned, like the Placencia factory that literally yeah. has done everything for hundred, like well over a hundred years, which is incredible to me. So I feel like just like the amount of knowledge and the stories and the history, you guys uncovered a shit ton, but I still feel like there's got to be like a part two, part three, part four, part five, part six. Because there's, there's so much to talk about. Maybe like a Euro trip one where it's just nothing but European cigars, huh? <laughs> I mean, twist arms. I mean, yeah. what? Yeah. Yes. Yes is the answer to whatever question that was. <laughs> but yes, we'd, we'd love to do. That's why we, we think uh, a docuseries would be more beneficial as a follow-up rather than another movie. The movie's great, but it's super information heavy. And it only allows people to tell so much of their story at a time. So doing individualized episodes would be amazing just because each person would have 45 minutes to an hour to fully tell their story. And I think um, that would be the most beneficial for the industry. And for us as storytellers, would be would be the most rewarding. So that's kind of something we're really putting a lot of effort into making right now. Even, even in the, like, the path of... of- of the documentary um like i just i just rewatched hand rolled what was it uh last two weeks week, ago, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. for the first time I, I probably hadn't seen it in three four months um and so it, it wasn't a fresh set of eyes but it was a lot fresher than i'd been used to um and so we watched it and i'm looking at it and i'm going like oh man uh i remember like all these decisions on timing but I, I was thinking, like, there was some, there was some moments where I'm like, man, I wish we would have held, you know, 20 more seconds there, you know, and just let that sink in, like that point sink in. But it's like, 
a lot of times we just did like a cut to like a fade to black and then the next thing started but it's like you know so if you watch it three or four times you'll you know you'll you'll find you find you missed a bunch of stuff or like you know it was so touching like uh and then you just kind of moved on from it because the movie just moved on but uh but that's just because you know we took down an early cut that i had done that was four and a half hours long we took it down to an hour and a half and we just didn't want to we didn't want to miss anything, you know? And so we didn't also didn't want it to be longer than an hour and a half. So there's all of these parts where like from a, from a cinematic perspective, I would have loved to let hang and let linger and let the person like really let, let the information really sink in with the person, but we just didn't have the time for it. And so now with the series, if we, if we get a chance to do it, um, you know, that those kind of decisions won't be as critical that, you know, for timing, you know, we could, we can linger, we can allow, you know, we can, hang on some visuals, um, on some expressions. I mean, there was a moment where like Nick Perdomo, you know, was, was crying at the, at the loss of his dad. And it's yeah. like, you know, I remember cutting that and, and going like, man, I, I really want to leave this on screen a little longer. You know, this is like heavy touching stuff. And not to, not to mention, if you know Nick at all, he's like, just kind of like a, like a no nonsense. You know, he's always like in a three piece suit, uh, you know, when he's at an event and he's just like, you know, like uh, a tough dude, tough dude, you know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to, you know, break down and get emotional, but this stuff is the kind of, this is the kind of stuff that's emotional for anybody. You know, it's not, you know, it's, it, it doesn't matter if you're a soft guy, tough guy, whatever. Like, you know, if you had a, uh, if you had a parent pass, that's something that's, that's heavy. And so um, I just remember watching it too. He's like, man, I really wish we could have just hung on that for a second. Cause like, that's touching, that's deep. Like you really get that human connection. And so hopefully we'll get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's obviously great to talk about hand rolled and I, I obviously I can't say enough about the documentary, but I'm curious about you two in general and as it interrelates to cigars. So I always have this curiosity around like, what are you guys favorite in a cigar? What are you smoking the most of? What do you want to try? Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's more of a, obviously a personal thing, but I'm always curious about like, hey, what's Jesse going to smoke later? What's Steve going to smoke later? What do you find yourself smoking most often? Like, what are those brands right now? What cigars are you enjoying? What's some of your all-time favorites? Um, that's, a, that's a popular question that we get asked. I mean, obviously, for anybody that smokes cigars, hey, what's your favorite cigar? But um, I can't say that I have personally a favorite cigar. I think I speak for Steve on this as well, because it's all about the the what's it called the the experience and the who are we with and what did what just happened like some of the best cigars we've had even though they're cheap and and not cheap but inexpensive i guess and you know otherwise you wouldn't enjoy it as much but it's we were with you know george Bergeon, for example we were smoking seconds not seconds but like this the cigars that didn't make the boxes so all the employees smoke them because they're not going to be sold to the public but hanging out with him smoking a, or smoking those cigars and drinking a, a glass of scotch was an insane experience and made those cigars freaking amazing so i mean i i personally favor nicaraguan tobacco um so a lot of a, anything that comes out of my father factory foundation uh oliva is great as well padrone i mean the, whatever tastes good i love to smoke so and and not to put down dominican i i had a dominican cigar today i had a fuente not but an hour before we, we started the call. But uh, 
I favor Nicaraguan tobacco, I guess would be my answer to that. Uh, yeah, it really kind of just depends on the on the mood and the atmosphere. And I don't know. I don't, I don't have a, I go through like, I go through kicks, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. there, was a, there was a time where we just smoked a shit ton of uh, Don Pepin Blues or whatever, you know, like right now, I guess probably what I'm smoking most of is like some Olivas, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It really kind of depends. Um, obviously, one staple for us, uh, even before the film, has been tatuaje. Um, uh, I mean, we have a, a bunch, a bunch of tatuaje cigars that we're always constantly going through. So, but yeah, I mean, the man, I think those little short um, uh, lagaleras, you know, those little the shorties. Yeah, oh, man, those are like awesome for like a quick smoke or something. You know, if you've only got like twenty minutes, half an hour. Yeah, it so depends on the setting um and and what you're doing like i mean i'll i'll be working on my yard just smoking whatever like just pull something out of the humidor that i haven't tried and you know smoke it so i don't i don't know it's really tough we have smoked some absolutely insane shit just rare cigars and and stuff that's super pricey and and i mean one one story is we smoked a, a cigar a bahike that was in 2007 something hard release hard to find or something and the guy was telling us, hey, these are worth about $1,000 a cigar. And then we lit up, I lit up a, a $10 My Father's Cigar right afterwards and enjoyed the hell out of the My Father's Cigar and didn't care so much about the BK. Not to say that it's a shitty cigar, but it's just like the it's flavors bad. are different. Yeah. I mean, so we've smoked some crazy shit, but I mean, it's funny that the, the least expensive cigars we've had happened to be during like the best times of our lives or the people we were with were freaking awesome. And those were the ones that stick in our heads, you know? Yeah. So like the environment is kind of what is more conducive to the overall tobacco smoking experience as opposed to just the cigar itself. And we, we've talked about that. We talk about it on this podcast literally all the time where it's like yeah. some of the most fondest memories or what you remember most about that experience was kind of where you were at, what the setting was. And maybe sometimes less about like, here's these profound flavors that come from this cigar, right? Like it's, it ends yeah. up being more than just a cigar and oftentimes becomes more of the connection that you have with the environment around you and the people around you. Do you have, so where you guys live, California is not the most tobacco friendly state, right? No. So in terms of like lounges, like are you guys frequenting lounges often? Or are you just smoking at home and chilling with friends? Well, during COVID, especially, it's been hard because a lot of places just aren't open or not yeah. open nearly as much. But there's some cool places here that on the regular are open. Um, you know, we have a so we're up near Sacramento, um, a little town called Roseville. So we have a place out here that we go to called Perfecto, and then in downtown Sacramento, there's a real nice uh, place we go to. It's called Steampunk and Wholesome Cigars Wholesome nearby. Cigars like, I don't know. There's, so there's a lot of great little spots out here. I wouldn't say there's a ton of them, but you know, there's enough to sort of meet the consumer demand for that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, out like, you know, good luck trying to smoke in most places, even on like restaurant patios and stuff. There's a few places that'll let you, but yeah, it's not, it's not terribly frequent that you find something like that. Yeah. Cigars it- out here are a couple bucks more expensive than like Ohio, for example, because of taxes and stuff. Right. Do you feel that there's some people like we, we get this, I, shit, I got this yesterday. I was in uh, I was in Columbus 
and I was smoking uh, outdoors just right outside of a brewery. And I swear to God, everybody was looking at me like I was the biggest asshole on earth. They're just like, what in the fuck is this dickweed doing smoking the cigar around <laughs> all of us, all of us able-lunged people? And I'm like, I'm looking at him like, are you serious? Do you get that a lot in California? I feel like there's some judgmental eyes that peer across in California as well. I have, I haven't personally. Have you? Not a, not a ton, but uh, if you are in pu- more public places, sometimes. Yeah. You know, we have gotten like the occasional person like standing thirty feet away and like fake coughing. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, the smoke's not even. <laughs> it's like so dissipated at that point. That just you know. But that's I don't know. I'd say it's pretty rare. But then again, we also don't typically smoke and like just public because it's just we just can't do it here. Yeah. Um, right. So even vaping, vaping is getting banned publicly too, like in public areas. So it's just all around. It's just kind of like the unspoken rule. You just don't smoke around people. Right. I mean, but it's fine. We get around. We smoking daily. And right. again, cigar lounges, we can, we have our like three favorite out here that we go to all the time. Smoked in one last night. I was in Folsom cigar last night, and, you know, so it's not an issue, but, uh, it's finding newer lounges. That's kind of hard. You're not going to see a whole lot of new ones popping up. As people aren't going to put that kind of investment in when the taxes are so high, and that's yeah, right. But yeah, still it's fine. I've been surprisingly the last couple of weeks getting more fist bumps from random strangers when I'm walking around smoking a cigar. Like <laughs> it's, it's been weird. Yeah, just the last couple of weeks. I don't do all the fist bumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I kind of like that. That uh, that seems something that would be um, ironically different in California as a fucking fist bump for smoking. Like, hey, dude, I appreciate you. That's what that says. <laughs> well, I mean, you get the the guys that are like, "Oh, you're cool because you smoke a cigar." Like, <laughs> I could never do that. My wife would never let me. <laughs> but yeah. So. So I guess where I want to curtail this now, and I know we've, we've been talking for a while, so I'll make sure that I let you guys get back to, um, shooting commercial. First of all, <laughs> I, have you shot any commercials that I would know? Like throw, throw no. one out. Seriously? There's gotta be. No, no, no. Cause we shoot. I mean, we shot a couple of McDonald's commercials, but they're like regional. You yeah. know, McDonald's has, uh, that all the commercials sort of air regionally. They have some that are like corporate, but unless you live in like California, Oregon, or Nevada, you wouldn't have seen. Yeah, you wouldn't have seen those, and so more West Coast stuff. I mean, we shot like gotcha. you know, we shot like some stuff within the industry. Uh, you know, we shot like a couple of things for Rocky Patel, for example. Oh yeah, um, you may or may not have seen. You know, if you saw, uh, we did a couple of uh, Tatuajes commercials as well. Um, just so like on Instagram and stuff, but. And if you're on Pornhub, you know, just see, again, <laughs> our other work, Dick Johnson, you'll find a lot of stuff. But otherwise, no. You, you, <laughs> Jesse, I, you know, it's so weird, Jesse. I knew I recognized you from somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, but I'll I thought, show you what you actually recognize when you stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, make sure to hit the record button once you stop. <laughs> you can record audio of it hitting the ground. <laughs> Hey, shut up, shut up, shut up. (laughs) So wait, so so are you guys so Steve, Jesse, are you guys married? Not to each other, obviously. (laughs) Although you Uh, could be, it's cool. 
no, we are not anymore. We were when the movie came out. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for asking that yeah. painful question. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> no, no, we're both um, going through divorce simultaneously not, not because, from each other yeah either. and not because of each other yeah. <laughs> well depends <laughs> on who's spouse you ask. <laughs> yeah. well uh you want to ask about our parents relationship all of them what was our childhood like jesus <laughs> well i'd say if you went to uh if you have family in cedarville i know what your childhood was like dude you don't have to tell me well they moved there from california hold on a second they're <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a weird that's a weird migration from california to cedarville ohio yeah it is yeah well, my aunt worked at cedarville university that's why they moved out there oh gotcha yeah makes sense, makes yeah. sense. this is my dead aunt she's very she's very she's dead, dead now yeah hella dead but, jesus um, we just keep bringing up all kinds of shit yeah i know let's talk about my dad that's fun <laughs> <laughs> oh you don't want to see him <laughs> Yeah, dude, don't pull a Perdomo on us. Come on, man. No, no, his dad's not dead. He's just dead to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My late <his> father. <laughs> oh, man. So, in terms of just the cigar industry as a whole, what do you guys want to explore? Outside of what you have coming up, like a progression in your own knowledge, what are you guys actively pursuing in terms of just like, Hey, I want to know more about this. You were talking about that. Uh, you obviously read a lot in publications, I assume mostly in Cigar Aficionado. Um, but in terms of like other publications, just digesting as much as you can for like more fruitful endeavors. Like what are you guys doing? Like is quarantine presented an opportunity for you to explore and learn more about tobacco as a whole? I would say uh, learning more of people's stories, man. Like, we we have a great idea of how people came up in the industry and the struggles they went through, but hearing more details about that would be something I'd, I'd be really interested in learning. I mean, watching people make cigars and stuff like that, knowing what goes into cigars, we kind of have a good grasp on that after filming in like 60 different factories or so. Okay, 40 to 60 or whatever. <laughs> like Over three years, you know, like we, we have a good idea of what goes into cigars now, but hearing more of the come up and the struggles and stuff like that. That's something I'd be more interested in. Yeah, we're heavily focused on like the human story and that's sort of where it starts and ends for us, you know? Uh, you know, you'll notice Sandra, like they don't ask anybody about their blends and what they, you know, what they put in their cigars. Like essentially just general sort of questions about cigar making. Um, but for the most part, you know, that's not stuff we're really concerned about. You know, you can, you can find that out um in other ways if you're really interested so for us yeah definitely um and i mean man some of of these stories are just so so insane like the risks and stuff like that's the stuff that really you know engages us yeah that was uh that was something that i think i enjoyed quite a lot just in terms of the documentary almost like a sense of refreshment uh because like i i've watched interviews with both of you um, at IPCR, I believe in 2018 and 2019. And a lot of what you get and just like IPCPR coverage is like regurgitated information, right? You have 
you have media outlets that are asking uh, heads of organizations, manufacturers, brands, like what's the new hot thing coming out? What's this? What is it comprised of? Right. The really nerdy shit, but there's not a humanistic piece to that. It's just what's fresh, what's new. Um, it's just seems kind of, I don't want to, it's not that it's not authentic. It's just, it's not, there's no depth to it. So it was cool that the documentary exposed the depth to the industry that otherwise people just wouldn't get exposed to. Like just a, I would say common folk who love cigars, just you don't, you don't get that through IPCPR interviews that are plastered all over YouTube. Just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, especially because at IPCPR, you know, they, they're there for one purpose, like to buy and sell. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the type of, uh, you know, like people, like, <clears throat> like we didn't do any interviews at IPCPR, nothing. No. We didn't even want to. It's like people's, people are in like, I need to sell mode, you know, and, and if they're not selling, they're thinking about selling, you know. Uh, or buying or whatever, you know? And so, um, those interviews are just never going to come out great. You know, there's so much noise there's so much stuff like for us, you know, our best interviews, we had like opportunities to sit and hang out with people for, you know, days or, you know, a day or at least a few hours beforehand and just shoot the shit and get to know each other and get comfortable, you know, cause it's really hard to just walk up and, tell somebody to sit in a chair and just start asking them all kinds of questions and expect them to just, you know, yeah. be comfortable and open and whatever. Like it's just, it's never going to work out great, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it's really hard to get those personal stories that I have to And if you've been, you kind of know the environment, it's just, you know, fast, 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 sell, sell, sell. Yeah. So I've got one last question and then I promise I'll let you guys get back to doing what you're doing. Jesse, what kind of hairstyle are you going to change your hair into next? Uh, <laughs> what, what's it going to look like a month from now? Uh, it's going to stay the same for now. <laughs> Dude, I swear to God, it's like every time I've seen you <laughs> just in like Instagram or in a video or whatever, it's like you fucking morph. You're like a, you're like a goddamn California chameleon. It's the weirdest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> Hey man, you got to blend in to fit in, man. So that's not even a thing that people say. It is not. <laughs> no, it's 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 staying the same. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. daughter my daughter thought it'd be funny if I had pink hair, so I went Dude, a little pink. That's cool. Anyway. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, let's go back to the the daddy issues. Let's yeah. go back to that. That's more fun. <laughs> So I think you guys mentioned earlier, I said I had one question, but I actually have one left. Um, in terms of, uh, you, you've conceptualized what you did with Handrolled, and I think you kind of gave me a little bit of a time frame of at the inception to final production. How long was that time period? That seemed like it, it was a pretty long period. Uh, I think it was three and a half years total. I feel like we had our first conversation about it in December of 15 or something. Yep. And I think it came, when it came out of IBCPR was July of 18. 18. So I don't know. You do the math, man. That's a Public, lot of time. I mean, publicly it came out July of, of 19. Yeah. So, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it took a while. Yeah, that's a good long time. But I mean, it took us two and a half years to film it. We did a year of pre-production and then getting the distributors uh, lined up and getting it ready to be released took almost another year. So yeah, it's, it's a grip. It took, a, it took some effort. 
it's like we, we've said it a few times, you know, if we had, if we, we could do it all, all, all over again, we could do it in half the time and twice as good. Um, you learn a lot going through something your first time, yeah. you know, yeah. the stuff that we put out for our, like just corporate work or commercial work, you know, is generally speaking 30 to 90 seconds. This was 90 minutes. So, right. um, you know, it's, it's a whole different endeavor, uh, old, you know, and everything's changing, you know, like not having, when we, when we, like finish our commercial work we just hand it to the client you do whatever the hell you want with it like that's we're done that our job ends there um but then you know like figuring out how to deliver the product is a whole new like ball game now you know you have all these companies that like are here from like the dvd days and they're trying to get you to distribute to them and sign over rights and stuff and it's like we've never done it before so we're you know we're asking a million questions and taking a bunch of meetings and trying to figure it out and now we we get it, you know, we get the, we, we get how to, how to load these things and how to do them. And, you know, all, all the crazy requirements that you have to go through. Um, but it's just, it's something that took a long, you know, every step of the way was like a learning process, you know, yeah. uh, every single step of the way. So, plus it wasn't like when we say, you know, three and a half years or whatever it was, it wasn't like we were working on it every single day, you know, like there went months and we wouldn't touch, you know, the project because, you know, we didn't have a trip lined up or any funding or whatever, you know, we were just working on our other shit. So, um, yeah, we could only go to these countries during the harvest to get anything worth filming. So it, that's end of December to beginning of April ish or beginning of May, yeah, depending, on the country, right? depending on the country. So we're, when the harvest is done, we're kind of done till the next, the next harvest, you know? So that took time as well. If, if everything was open year round, we could have finished filming in a year. Pretty, pretty. Well, and if we had our, if we had funding and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like part of it was too, like you know, we got our first interviews sort of on a on a whim in January of 2017. Mm-hmm. I think we first fired up the camera and hit record on our first interview, um, and we got a few interviews that year. But it's like people still weren't responding to our emails. You know, yeah, we got a shit ton of interviews in January of 2018. You know, yeah. So it's it's not you know it's not as if we had everybody lined up and dialed in. And everybody was ready to go and ready to sit down for interviews you know because people still weren't responding to our our calls and our whatever i mean i i think once we filmed with shank and Margaret, uh, yeah. everything sort of changed you know like everybody started paying attention and that was like an awesome moment for us yeah that's like you you got the big guy and then it just yeah. like has that trickle down effect where it starts opening up pathways and doors to access to other people which yeah, is really exactly. cool well, I, I'll tell you yeah. this, guys. I, I can't say it enough. Well, one, I appreciate you both being on with us. Yeah. Um, very fucking cool. Thank you for taking your time out. But just to, I know I have a sincere appreciation for what you've done. And I know there's a ton of people that I know personally and then other people throughout the industry that appreciate what you guys put together and broadcasting out something that was actually meaningful in the cigar world. Um, there's a lot of things that are just, they're just whatever. Um, but the informational piece, the the humanitarian piece of it, the connection to the families, the history is absolutely fucking incredible. It's it's the best thing I've seen done ever for cigars. So I'm glad it was you guys. I'm glad you put it out there. And I will tell you this. I'm really excited for whatever you do next as it relates to the cigar industry is going to be badass. And I know I'm itching and waiting for it. And I'm sure a ton of other people are as well. Yeah. Thank you, man. That's a we'll huge get you that cream, baby. We'll get you that cream. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good and you guys have a fucking sense of humor thank god 
<laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Next time we'll be more serious. Next interview. <laughs> please, please, no. please don't. Please don't. Because <laughs> obviously you can tell we're not the most serious people on earth. So I, we can create a connection with uh, people who uh, aren't fuddy-duddies. That's good. I like guys that say funny duddies. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you like, you like guys in general. Well, that's neither here nor there. Okay. <laughs> here, that listen. That's our time here today. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're going to make us circle back to your daddy issues, we're going to need another hour. All right? No, so let's, hold we'll, that. let's we'll reserve that for two. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, it, guys. This is awesome, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate it greatly. You guys are wonderful to talk to. And take care. Have an awesome 4th of July weekend. And hopefully we'll talk to you uh, in the near future. Sounds good, guys. Sounds All good. right. See, See you, guys. guys. Later. Okay. That was fun. It was. I'm always, I'm just always dumbfounded by the, the, the stories. Like, I don't even, like, I just literally don't want to speak. I want to be that, like, fly on the wall every single time. Yeah, it's, it's weird because, like, these two guys did something so different in the industry. Like we're used to hearing manufacturer stories, right? Like background, family history, um, progression, what they're doing from an operational perspective. Not that it's necessarily rinse and repeat because they're all unique in their own way. But what I thought was really cool about these guys is that they have a perspective of two people who love cigars, but aren't necessarily ingrained in the industry the same way as other interviews that we've done, which are typically with folks that are have either been a part of this from a family tradition perspective or got it into it as, you know, uh, I want to build my own brand. So some of those stories are very similar, but it's like, these are two guys who are very much, I don't want to say on the outside, but are coming in with it from a different perspective. So they're probably, I would say in a lot of instances through that interview process, ask similar questions that would do a manufacturers. But of course, I think their ability to capture it and in a way that resonates not only with cigar smokers, but folks who may not be as close into the cigar world as folks such as ourselves and a lot of our listeners, that's what's pretty cool. Like I like the idea of having this platform of information to expose to the rest of the world as far as like, this is what exists in cigars. And even if you aren't a part of the industry, if you are, you appreciate it for what it is because it's, it's an incredible documentary. If you're not, you appreciate it because there's a whole lot to learn. Plus there's, there's no agenda around the reasoning behind what they did outside of just appreciating cigars. Like it's one of these things where, you know, you can watch some documentaries that like spin it in a way. It's like McDonald's is terrible for you. Like, look how they make shit. Like, do you want to put that in your body? But I've never met someone who finally dives into how it's made with cigars and the history behind it. And it goes, yeah, I don't want to be part of that. Like, I feel like everybody that's introduced to it that gets past the social norm and the taboo nature of what cigars have been for the last 20 years, it, it like goes away as soon as you familiarize yourself with it. Yeah, that's, 
That's actually a really good take because I, I feel the same way as far as like, there's not a lot of people I talk to, even if they're not interested, but start to kind of get exposed to what cigars are and what smoking is all about. Like Jesse and C both talked about it uh, in, in our discussion as far as like, you know, the favorite cigar is sometimes just the one that you're smoking um, that derives a certain experience. We talk about that all the time, right? It's, it's not necessarily this one cigar is just palatable all the time. And it, you know, <laughs> ranks towards the top of everything that I want to smoke continually. But it's like, what derived experience did I get? Who was I with? What were my surroundings? What was the environment? And I think that's the attachment people really get to cigar smoking and sometimes just less the cigar and more about the experience overall, which is really cool. I mean, they hit on, I think that's part of what that rich history gives you. Part of what they did really well in the documentary was um, actually bringing to light the subtle things that people kind of understand but not to the depth of which they presented it. So it gives you a whole bunch of more additional information as far as like even just the migration from Cuba and all these families, you know, hard reset button, got to go to Nicaragua, got to go to the Dominican, right? It's, it's what they know. They're not going to do anything else. And a lot of these, you know, organizations had to pack up all their shit, hightail it out of Cuba and start operations elsewhere. And they do such a good job of capturing what that was like, where we just kind of hear some of the stories anecdotally. It's like, these you're hearing from the people's mouth, like, this is what happened to my family. It's crazy. It's kind of like, there's some volatility around it, right? Like, this is an industry that has some volatility. Like, other industries... It's like, well, our numbers were down this year because people got sick. But the, like, and I, that's maybe a terrible example, but I feel like, I feel like most small, small businesses, because I do feel like a lot of cigar brands and manufacturers are considered small business for the most part. Um, none, no other industry ever, I don't think has ever gone through something as crazy as this, as, as the cigar industry. I mean, not that I know of personally. Yeah. Maybe pharmaceuticals. I don't know. Yeah. There's certainly places that have, you know, trials and tribulations and it's almost like it's weird watching the cigar industry and the people who have been involved with it. It's like, just keep getting kicked, like keep getting kicked, keep getting kicked, keep getting knocked down. I'm going to knock you down again. I'm going to knock you down again. I'm going to knock you down again. They're like, yeah, there's like a sense of resiliency and the cigar industry as a whole, which I think is really cool. It stands the test of time. You just think about how old cigars are just in general, like maybe the alcohol industry with like prohibition, but that, that's still relatively young in comparison to everything tobacco related. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw a photo. I don't know if it was real, but a photo of Cleopatra smoking a cigar, real photo, you know, Real photo. I don't know if they had cameras back then, but in the photo that I saw, Cleopatra was smoking a fucking cigar. It just goes to show that tobacco has been around for thousands of years. Do you know what I'm like saying? A, like a hieroglyphic on a, like yeah. a pyramid wall? Yeah. It was Cleopatra smoking a cigar. I bet that was a real thing. 
It probably is. <laughs> I know I'm making up shit, but I feel like it may be real. I'll tell you this. I'm looking forward to a part two, a part three, part four, as I kind of already said um, during the interview, because I think there's so much to explore, so much to uncover. Um, and I'm hoping that next endeavor brings more to light in terms of cigars. Because I thought all things considered and cigars, I feel like hand rolled was such a huge success and such and embraced by everybody. So I'm, I'm hoping that continues on. What if they do an expedition? where they go through old Mayan temples. And the reason that the Mayans aren't in the Mayan area is because they had to move their tobacco farms to other parts of the world. But it was the biggest industry in the world. Think about it. Listen, if the Mayans can't get the calendar right, they're not getting tobacco, right? But they're really good with calendars. <laughs> oh, let's wrap this shit up. Um, shit, episode 157 concluded. Um, glad we got to spend time with Jesse and Steve, obviously before the 4th of July weekend. Um, I, don't, I don't know that. Uh, that's exactly how I wanted to roll into the weekend, no pun intended. Um, that was, uh, that was a great opportunity to talk to two guys that have experienced a lot in a short amount of time. So I thank them a ton, greatly appreciate their time. Yeah. And again, looking forward to what they're going to do in the future. Um, whatever it is, it's got to be pretty fucking amazing. So, Yeah, ditto. All right. Well, we don't have any alcohol, but... Um, Times are rough, you know? Cheers. Uh Wait, hold on. But I'm below you, actually. Oh, I'm. Mine's different. Yeah, hold on. But I'm recording, so put your <laughs> hand. Put your hand down. There we go. Um, greatly appreciate everybody listening. As always, we'll be back at you next week with episode 158. I do want to say, the week after. May not have an episode. Oh, I'll yeah, you're vacation. Vacay. You're vacay. Yeah. Yep. So, so we may not have an episode, episode but tough shit. shit. And if you, if you like our ESPN headsets, just drop a comment in the post saying, bring back some John Madden, you know, bring, bring, bring some Shannon Sharp to the table because we can do that. We can definitely do that. Um, visit our website, www.hotticketweekly.com and visit our show sponsor, My Cigar Pack, mycigarpack.com. Hot 10 promo code at checkout is $10 off your first pack. What a good deal, Corey. You know? It's, the, it's literally the best deal. It's the best. All right, let's conclude it. Okay. It's episode 157. We'll be back at you next week with episode 158. See you, everyone. See you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Let me tell you how you can get a hold of us. You can get a hold of myself 
at the Hot Ticket Pod on Instagram. You can get a hold of Chris at Hot Ticket Chris on Instagram as well. You can find this podcast. It is available all over the place. You can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. And you can find the podcast available on video on YouTube. Look up the Hot Ticket Weekly on YouTube, and you can watch all the fun happen before your eyes. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes if you could. And check out our show sponsor, My Cigar Pack, at www.mycigarpack.com. Again, thanks for listening. We'll be back at you next week.